The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. All right. Well, my Christmas tradition uh, every year, it seemed, started on the same day, December 23rd. It's my dad's birthday, and um, that would be the day that we all piled in the minivan and drove from Houston to just south of St. Louis, Missouri. It took a long, long time, and we always had, it seems like we always had Hoosiers in the VCR TV combo thing that was about this big. It was like the size of a brick. You know, it was, it was, it was huge. We put that in the minivan. We went, and 14 hours later, we were at Grandma's house. And at Grandma's house, there were two traditions that we had uh, anytime I went. So we used to go in the summer before we went up to Michigan, and then we used to go at Christmas time. And the traditions were this. One, uh, if you woke up at 6 o'clock in the morning or so, either Grandma would be making pancakes or Grandpa would be at the Dippin' Deli, the local old man hangout where they had uh, cookies and coffee. So if you wanted cookies and coffee before you had pancakes, you'd go to the Dippin' Deli and then you'd go to Grand's house and you'd get all hyped up on sugar, and just ready for the day. That was tradition one. Tradition two also revolved around food. Um, interesting. And tradition two was kind of their mealtime routine. And so they'd say prayers at, uh, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And the first prayer, you might know it, uh, goes like this. Come, Lord Jesus. Say it with me now. Be our guest. All right, so we have some of these and some uh, thy people in the room. That was how we started each meal. At the end of the meal, though, specifically dinner, there was another kind of routine, kind of a longer devotional time uh, that we had together. Uh, We said this prayer that came out of the King James Version of the Bible, and I had no clue what it meant. I had to call my mom this week. There were two words that always got me confused, and I'm like, I don't even know what this means. It's for all his benefits that I heard livest and drainest, like it was draining, but apparently it's livest and rainest. I still don't know what the rest of it is, but I would always just kind of go quiet, and I'm like, I don't know what they're saying at this moment. So I skipped over that part. The next part was when Pops, my grandpa, pulled out the Bible, and he pulled out a portal of prayer, and he'd kind of pass it, and someone would read the scripture kind of verse, and then another person would read the little devotional thought that came in this little booklet. That was part two. Part three and why I'm telling you about mealtime at the Graving household is because of this one verse. We'd always close that time with the first verse in the psalm. We'd say, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. So I'd hear that every night, two weeks out of the year, uh, for as long as I went to their house. And so it was kind of drilled in me, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And it's good that we kind of camp on this uh, psalm, this text for today, uh, because it helps us really close out our series uh, for the love. We've been going through um, the different types of love in uh, the New Testament, and it's kind of been, this is where we've been. So we have Storge, the familial love. The love that I didn't get to choose this person because they're my brother or sister or mom and dad or son or daughter. Uh, there's just that sense of love that's kind of built in. 
Then we went to Philia Love, which is, if you know Philadelphia, city of brotherly love, it's that kind of a friendship um, type of love that you do get to pick these people, and you love them even though you get to pick them. Last week, we were in Eros with a uh, romantic type of love, and Gabe kind of pointed out, he's like, hey, this is, you know, through seasons and through time and history, uh, different cultures had, hey, storge love is the most important, or right now, Eros love is the most important in our culture. Like, that's why movies end with um, they kiss and they live happily ever after, or they don't kiss and they break up and it's a tragedy and blah, 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 blah. But it's all kind of centered around Eros, love. Today, we're talking about, uh, there it is, agape love at the top. And there's lots of ways to explain it. And we need lots of ways because it's hard to handle. We don't have... A lot of great examples are it's not like, oh, in this movie, there's this form of agape love. No, because this form of love, um, many commentators say, is the highest form of love. It's the love that God has for his people. And it's hard to describe. And sometimes the other loves can point to that. But agape love is from God to us. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Loves. We got a lot of insight from that for this series. And he talks about agape love, kind of using the Latin version of this type of love. And he says it's charity or caritas. So if you've seen a a 501c3 or another nonprofit that has like caritas ministries, it's charity ministries or charity incorporated or something like that. That kind of gets at this idea of agape love. Agape is the Greek word. That describes this kind of love. So that's that. But, but my favorite, my personal favorite, is from the Hebrew. Because the Hebrew letters all kind of look like boxes and all that. And they have all these crazy pointings. And it reads this way to this way instead of this way to this way. Uh, and the word there uh, is chesed. If, if you want to learn Hebrew, I had a Hebrew professor tell me this on syllabus day. He's like, now... If you guys want to know Hebrew, this is what you do. You go find somebody, and you get sick off of them, and you just stay sick for as, as long as you're in this class. And then you can really get the phlegm built up so that your American tongue can say chesed. So why don't you guys give it a go? If you're sick, this one's for you. Chesed. That's much better than 930. So maybe don't shake hands after. Um. I love that. That's the word that's found in Psalm 136, hesed, steadfast love. You might have seen say loving kindness, his charity for us, his mercy endures forever. It's all kind of around the same idea. And it's hard for us to explain because we don't often recognize it. So today our goal is just, hey, what does it look like? What does agape love look like? What did it look like for God's people? What does it look like? For us, and what does it look like for us kind of ongoing? What does agape look like? So let's, uh, you can open up your Bible to the Psalm uh, 136. We'll have it on the screen as well. I'm not going to read the common refrain because one, Psalm 136 endures forever if you do. Um, if you are looking at a Psalm, there's a couple things you got to know. If you're reading a Psalm or a proverb for that matter. So right there by verse 1, Psalms often give a big thought, like, hey, here's the idea, 
And then the next line down kind of explains or just adds more to the idea above it. So give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For That's like the main idea. The verse or the, the kind of part below explains it. For his steadfast love endures forever. You see this all throughout um, Hebrew poetry and also in the Proverbs. One of my favorite Proverbs is, uh, oh man, this happened again in first service. It's right there. Iron sharpens iron. There it is. Um, as iron sharpens iron, that's the thought, so one man sharpens another. So it gives this kind of idea of iron making iron sharper by clashing it together. And that's the big idea. Then the, the next thought is, so one person sharpens another. Whether you're in a discipleship relationship, whether you're in a philia love or a storge love, we sharpen each other. It's one of the reasons we have community. So that's the first thing. One part describes another. Second part is the psalms are often in chunks. There are chunks in this psalm. And in this psalm, I see uh, verses 1 through 3 as being kind of unique. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods and give thanks to the Lord of lords. When I read this, I see the Trinity. It's kind of a, it's talking about one God, but, but saying three different ways of explaining it. You might say, okay, Barrett, this was written thousand-ish years before Jesus. Of course you're going to read it that way. You're a Christian. You're a pastor. Uh, where do you kind of come off reading it that way? But, but I think it does. Because the other chunks in this psalm kind of say what, what each person of the Trinity does. Verses 4 through 9 talk about a creator. Verses 10 through 24 talk about a redeemer. Verse 25 talks about a sustainer. So we have kind of this idea of father, creator, son, redeemer, the person who buys us back, sustainer, the Holy Spirit. And then it closes off with 26, give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. Um, we start with verse 4, and uh, I, I love how it talks about the creative process of God. So I'll just read through these. To him who alone does great wonders... To him who by understanding made the heavens, to him who spread out the earth above the waters, to him who made the great lights, the sun to rule over the day and the stars to rule over the night. If you're reading this, if this is in your, your hymn book as a good Hebrew child growing up and you're at Tabernacle singing, when you hear this, you hear creation, the creation story, Genesis 1. To him who by understanding made the heavens, well, that's day two. To him who spread out the waters and the earth, that's day three. To him who made the great lights, that's day one. To him, the sun to rule over the day and the moon and stars to rule over the night, that's day four. He didn't talk about humans at that point. It was just God in his creative process was creating. And it's a form of love for us. If you are... Um, fortunate or have been fortunate enough to walk through certain aisles at Target or Walmart, 
the past three weeks, uh, you might have seen kids' faces kind of plastered uh, for me, where I was looking, was in the Lego section. So if you're from like this tall to this tall, or this tall for me, uh, your eyes get big when you ser see certain Lego sets. So the one that I saw most recently, um, I have to read this, it was a 1,329-piece uh, Force Awakens Millennium Falcon from ages 9 to 14, uh, maybe more. Um, and I looked at that, and I was like, oh, that would be so cool to have. Like, I would love to be able to bust that open, spread out all the pieces, get the book going, and just start putting it together. And at the end of that, I imagine I would have some affection for this Millennium Falcon that I built that took four hours. I know that because I have an engineering friend um, who's kind of weird and really categorizes his Legos, but then he also keeps them built and he kind of displays them in his office. So he's got a house and an office, and he has a couple thousand-piece Star Wars Lego set. And I was the best man in his wedding, and I go, up to, I go up to kind of play with it, and I'm, like, moving the wings. And he's like, whoa, whoa, Barrett, watch out. And he physically took my arms, and he's like, dude, let me, let me show you how it works. I'm like, dude, we've known each other since sixth grade. I was the best man in your wedding. Just let me play with the toy. And he's like, Dude, let me, okay, so there's this thing in the back, and that's what brings the, the wings up and down. I'm like, okay, fine, fine, fine. But, but he had affection towards this trophy of plastic that he had made. If you have ever um, started a small business or multi, if you're like a serial entrepreneur, there's a part of you that is in each business. It's kind of like, oh, that's my baby. Uh, if you are someone who writes, or if you're an artist, you have this idea for, okay, this is where it's going to go, and the colors are going to go this way, or the words are going to go this way, this is what I want the end goal to be. There's something beautiful there, and part of you goes in it. I had a happy hour with this guy this week, and he was telling me about his story in Austin. And he said, yeah, the recession was kind of tough, we had to sell our house. Like, oh, okay, did you find another house? I was like, yeah, but it's not that house. And he was kind of lamenting over the fact that he lost his house. And he said, Barrett, I, I was there. I saw them lay the foundation. I watched them put the sticks up. I kind of helped design where things were going to be. And he's like, we sold the house because we needed to financially, but I still love that house. Like, that's the house. And what he's expressing there is with art, or business, or starting new things, we're tapping into something that God has designed us for. And that's to be creative. To use what he's put in us to better the other people around us. And if that's true for us, if our love kind of goes in there, how much more is that true for God? Everything that, that we talked about in this psalm, all of those things, they come before humans. And he's like, I, I, I just wonder, if he was looking at it, he's like, I'm going to create these humans. That's going to be fascinating. I love them. I want to prepare this awesome place for them before I bring them onto the scene. So he's like, trees and sun, moon, stars, water, and earth are going to be separated in this way. We see God's chesed, his agape love, his steadfast love for us, and what he creates for us. We also see it in him as a, a redeemer. So we're, we're on now to, to verse 10. 
And if you want to recognize uh, the agape love of God, it's oftentimes really good to look at the stories of his people. So creation, we kind of see, oh, that's kind of how he loves his people. Here we see this is kind of how he loves his people in this circumstance. So to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, this is referring to the Egyptians and the Exodus and the Israelites coming out of Egypt. And when the Israelites looked back at their story, they said, we were in slavery for over 400 years. That's like from now to sometime in the 1600s. I, would have, I don't remember. Like My family didn't get here until halfway in between there. And I don't remember any of their names. But these Israelites remembered their story. They remembered whose they were, and they remembered who they could call out to. And they did. They cried out. They said, God, we're making bricks for this Pharaoh so we can build him buildings. And they called out to this God that had steadfast love, hesed love, agape love for them. And he struck down the firstborn in the Egypt. He brought Israel out from among them, the Egyptians, with a strong hand and an outstretched arm to him who divided the Red Sea into two and made Israel pass through the midst of it, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. He brought them out of slavery. He bought them back and took them to be his people again. After 400 years, he brought them out. And then he spent another 40 years kind of retraining them and, and reminding them, what does it look like to be my people? And so verses uh, 16 to 22 Show us what that looks like. They remembered, they wanted, like, we can see what agape love looks like by, by looking at their story. To him who led his people through the wilderness, God was there leading them through the wilderness, who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings. Then it goes on, this is who it was, Sion, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. And he says, he taps into this promise that he had for them a long, long time ago. To Abraham, he's like, I'm going to give you this land as a heritage, and a heritage to Israel, his servant. When God redeems, he brings his people out. He breaks chains of slavery. And you might be saying, okay, that's great. That's the Israelite people. I kind of see what you're talking about with creation. He loves us in that. I see how he loved the uh, Hebrew people, the Israelite people, and how he created a space for them. What about me, Barrett? What about me? Well, up until this point, I'll give you that. Um, but verse 23 and 24, they take it from being a, a localized people of God that have a promise for them, and they open it up to the whole world. It says, it is he who remembered us in our lowest state. It is he who rescued us from our foes. I don't know if you feel like you're in a low estate or like a low station or you just feel like you're kind of down in the dumps. Um, I don't right now. And I really don't feel like I have any foes because I've got a great job, I've got a great wife, I live in an acceptable apartment, even though the dishwasher broke yesterday. My car works. Like, things are pretty good. No one's really fighting me right now. I don't really have foes. And so if, if you aren't finding yourself in the story, it's often helpful to look at 
other people's story. Maybe we can recognize agape love when we look at other people and see, oh, wow, God did that for them. So I got an email this week. It was the highlight of the week. And it's, it's this. It's somebody shared their story, something that I thought was pretty mundane. And they were like, oh, okay, hey. And we got this email, and it said, this is what happened when we did this. This is where God showed up. Uh, we had this men's check-in. We do it every other week, um, every week. So, yeah. Uh, people check in, guys go, and it's just we hang out and we go to different places, and sometimes we go to this houseboat, and sometimes we go to people's land. It's a great opportunity. This week we went to a cigar bar. Uh, and this is what it looked like. looks like when God remembers, when God rescues someone from their foes. I'll read part of it. I won't read all of it because it's a three-page email. A guy walks into a bar. This guy's journal is actually pretty good. A guy walks into a bar, and I sit down with a group of strangers that welcome me with familiarity and no agenda. The invite several days earlier drew me in with hopes of a, a salve for my wounds. An invitation to meet with a small group of men who might be concerned brothers in Christ. It might be the real deal. It might be the manifestation of God through people. And the very possibility that any variation of the above might exist elicited a definite commitment to show up and see what I might find. I'm going to pause. Sometimes this type of love or this type of love or that type of love can be God's way of pointing us to his love. I felt no different. Oh, I, got, I get off work and I am fried. Training offices, uh, training offices how to use software by no... Hmm. Oh, training, sorry. Let me learn how to read again. Training offices how to use software means two things. One, I have to know every inch of the capabilities and functions of the complete software. <clears throat> and two, I have to be a professional communicator. Adapt to the learning speed and style of each customer and exercise extreme patience with people of all levels of technology. I felt no different today than I do most days at the end of work. Worn out, tired, and brain abused. <clears throat> Imagine taking three finals in one day. That's what I felt like when I got off work and realized I committed myself to driving immediately to an unfamiliar place with an unfamiliar people have an unfamiliar meeting. Gone were the visions of God revealing himself in brotherhood. Gone were the hopes of relaxing after work by taking the usual unwind bike ride. Instead, I am ramping up anxiety of driving in an unknown traffic pattern to an uncertain experience with people I don't know. I fight the urge to cancel. I talk back to the temptation to go home and relax alone. I tell myself, I can do this once. If it sucks, at least I can say I tried it out. If I don't go, I'll never know if it was worth going to. That's honest. Like, I don't want to go, but I'm going to go. That's good. Finally, I arrive at the cigar room. The anxiety decreases because I know that I'm only 24 minutes from home and I can leave any time I like. I have no desire to socialize. I've been talking all day on the phone. Greetings and introductions are made. I have no interest in a drink or smoking tonight, maybe I can just hang out for a few minutes and leave. 
I will order a water and see what happens. Then things start to change. I notice that these guys know how the place works. That's just, I don't know, that line kind of got me. I was like, I don't know how this works. But he explains it. You go pick a cigar, you go pick a drink, and then you visit. I don't know what to say, so I'm going to make sure these guys know how bad of a sinner I am. And then he goes on to kind of describe his sin and the weight that he felt. <clears throat> and he says, oh, these people kind of came in. Yeah. So then let me get to this part. What did the professor just say? Did he really just ask me if anyone needed to check in? He did. Drop the guard. These guys are real. The man who just a minute ago was showing off pictures of his place, and I made up a whole story about he was wildly successful and sure of himself and free from all problems. What was that? Well, his child is on the last remaining option for medication. I'm, colorful word here, I'm a butt. He's wrestling with things I can't even begin to understand. I'm not even a parent. My heart aches for him instantly. I want to check in. I wanted to let everyone know how sinful, foolish, and afraid I have been in life. Not tonight. Maybe next time. Kind of goes on. He says, you mean to tell me that a group of Christian men can go out, smoke cigars, have a drink, and tell each other how they're struggling? I am in. I'm definitely in. Sign me up. This feels like home to me. And then the title of the email was, Did You See Him? And he kind of hits that refrain again. He says, Did you see him? I did. I saw God tonight. The mighty fortress himself was in the cigar room. He was helping me open my heart to himself. He was this person. He was that person. He was the bartender. He told me he was planning a church where I live. Did you see him? I haven't had a smile on my heart since dot, dot, dot. I can't remember when. That is the most relaxed I've been in a long, long time. Did you see him? Tonight was like sitting on God's lap with his arms around me. God's amazing grace continues to amaze me, a sinner. This was, this was a normal outing for myself and some other people at our church. I didn't know this guy was going through this, and I was just like, yeah, okay. Well, we all have crap. But he took that as that type of love, and maybe that type of love and that type of love. He, the, God used those things to show him that he remembered him in his lowest state, and that he would rescue him from his foes. Sometimes the, the other loves point to agape. Sometimes they don't. But there's a truth here, and it's a truth that we celebrate in Advent and because it leads forward to Christmas, and that's we all are in a low estate, and we all have foes, whether we like to admit it or not. And in this place, whether you can see it or not, in this low estate or when you have foes, God loves you in the midst of that. And, and being loved requires that someone be sent. Love required Jesus to be sent into an animal feed box. That's what it was, a manger. That in our lowest state, he would come in an even lower estate, a box for feeding animals. And he looked our foe straight in the eye when he spread out his arms on the cross. When he died for your sins. 
He doesn't leave you there, but also, if we look at verse 25, he gives food. He gives, uh, it is he who gives food to all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. So maybe you, maybe you don't relate to the creation or to the Israelites or even to this guy's email. Maybe you need another place to see it. Well, this is the place to see it, and it's communion. This meal was called the Agape Meal, the Agape Feast in the early church. And they called it that because it was a meal like that. They, that's where they saw God's love. They, they came together. They had a meal. They took communion. They did the words Jesus told them to do. Do this in remembrance of me. And this meal is love for you. It's God's agape for you. It's a promise from him to you, like that promise in the Old Testament. I will give you the land. This says, I will promise to be with you. I'll promise to love you. When you come to this meal, he's promising to forgive you. And that's what he says. He says, I love you. You're forgiven. I agape you. So as we prepare for this meal, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, verse 26 says, Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. And we give thanks to you, because you are the God of heaven, and your love does endure forever. Thank you for showing us your love, and prepare our hearts to receive this meal. Thank you for showing us your love. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.